0: Peoples of the Universe, please attend carefully. The podcast that follows is vital to the future of you all this is the latest episode of the power of three podcast and we're taking a trip back to 1971 for five fantastic fun frolics with that fine fellow with facial fuzz from outer space not only as tom harris sorry the master i'm joined by said gentleman although today he swapped his narrow shirt for a pair of fawn slacks a mustard colored shirt brown velvet jacket and a huge maroon kipper tie hello mr tc harris are you drunk yes okay that, that explains uh, it hi folks tom what ah. does the c stand for in your twitter handle i've always meant to ask you this well a number of people on twitter would probably guess what the c stood for but actually
1: it's connor c-o-n-n-e-r that's You're my that's, that's my
0: irish heritage super boy cool that's interesting, but also here with us today is a gentleman wearing an oversized blue Umbro tracksuit, a white wrist top, and he's even grown a handlebar moustache for the occasion. It's Mr. David Steele. Ha ha! I can't been... talk for laughing. Yes, hello Kenny,
2: hello Tom. Welcome back everyone. Thank you for joining us. I, can't... I don't have enough of a chin.
1: How long did Kenny spend on that intro, do you think?
2: Yeah, how, how long could you not sleep? I because mean, I... I I'm... That was back at 12 that I finished
0: texting because I was shattered. That's oh, a space. That was about five minutes' work. Anyway, I'm Kenny Smith and I've got my leather chaps on with matching jacket and cap. So let's get started. I don't think you know what leather chaps and matching jacket actually mean, Kenny. Well, you can dream <laughs> about that all right <laughs> I, I, I day you know what. <laughs> I don't think you'd realise what single that's just said. Uh, well, that's, we're all going a bit 70s. I'm going a bit village people. Okay. okay. You're, um, you're, you're married, aren't you?
2: You've been together quite a while. Um, maybe there's a conversation you should be having.
0: Stay tuned. <laughs> yes, today we are going to chat about the season eight Blu ray box set recently released by BBC Studios or BBC Worldwide or BBC Enterprises or whatever they're called this week. We're going to go through it and have a chat about the extras and the stories themselves. But, Tom, as the more chronologically senior of us, shall we say, What do you remember about watching this series first time around and what sort of impact did the new regulars make on you, given that we'd had the arrival of the master, Joe Grant, and of course, the unforgettable Captain Mike Yates?
1: I mean, I remember watching it when it was first broadcast because, yes, I am that old. I don't remember particularly registering that there was a new Companion. I mean, obviously there was a new companion, but I don't remember thinking and, and registering that at the time. My biggest excitement was the realization that the Ottens were back because they were my favourite monster because of the year earlier, Spearhead from Space. I remember also being vaguely disappointed that they weren't as threatening because you know they were they were smiley men in hats, and, and which I think when you're a bit older you can see how sinister that was. But the young, now what year was this? Seventy one. So the, the young seven-year-old me just wanted the original Ottens back, you know, the shop window dummies, which we got as well in Tour of the Ottens. But, I mean, the, the things I remember most are the most famous set pieces. I remember being horrified at the doctor being strangled by his telephone cable. Uh, I remember when Joe was almost suffocated by the daffodil, and that was really frightening. I mean, I've always had a fear of suffocation, so I, I saw that and I, I just that gave me nightmares. And although I remember the master in it, I, you know, looking back, as I say, I can't remember that being his first adventure. I just remember loving the master uh, who was all over my life back in 71, 72. So the set pieces, yeah, I, I, I don't remember a lot about the, the climax of the story. You know, the cable and uh, the daffodils were the ones that gave me nightmares at the time.
0: Interesting. So before we discuss the actual stories themselves, let's have a quick chat about some of the various extra features, many of which have been newly created for this set. And we'll have a quick chat about, first of all, Behind the Sofa, which this time around brings us some fun mixes with Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton. We've got Katie Manning with Stuart Bevan from The Green Death. And there's a new double act, Anjali Mahindra and Sasha Dewan. For those of you who don't know, Anjali played Rani Chandra in the Serious *Gen Adventures. And Sasha is, of course, best known to Doctor Who fans for playing Waris Hussein in an adventure in Time and Space. He does know a thing or two about the Doctor's archenemy, of course, having had a brush with the Master in Big Finish's Dark Eyes 3, The Reviled, where he played an alien creature called Jidam with Alex McQueen's Evil Time Lord. Actually, before we go on, did anybody notice that when you've got Anjali Mahindra sitting with Sasha Dewan, there's no divide between them. Are they a couple in real life? Yes, they are. Well, there we go. Brilliant. I didn't realise that, but that's brilliant. I think they're lovely. I really like them. I think they're both great. I what was kind of struck by, the, by their moments
2: during the Mind the Sofa features, because obviously, you know, it was joyous to sort of see Sasha reacting to, to Roger O'Gado's master. But it was also, there was a point when they kind of commented on the term incidental music popping up in the end credits, and they didn't seem to understand what it meant. And I sort of thought, oh, okay. Enlighten us, what does it mean? Well, incidental music, they they thought it, they didn't seem to understand that it meant the music that played during the story. They thought it just, they didn't really seem to, just that was it, they didn't know what it meant. And they and it, you're watching it going, oh, that's right. And you How long have you worked
0: in the industry? Okay. Mm. But I really enjoyed them. I thought the, 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 that pair I thought were a great double act. I thought there some really interesting insight coming to these things not with having been involved in sort of really like the Doctor Who bigger picture, you know, with the classic series mixes, with the, whereas the likes of Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton obviously met John Pertwee and Katie Manning and various others. And I thought it was really interesting, a good a good fresh observational double act from the pair of them.
2: Yeah, one thing I found this time, I didn't find Janet Fielding as great as I had done in the last couple of box sets, maybe just because it was just her and Sarah together and not, you know, with A and other for um, Janet to bounce off. They, they're a great little team as well. It's really nice just watching, and it's, the same goes for for Katie and Stuart. It's really nice watching these people. And I'll touch on this when I talk about one of the other features that I really liked. It's really nice just watching these people who have known each other for a very long time, just enjoying each other's company. It was really, you don't feel like you're intruding, you just sort of feel part of it. But it, was, it was really, really nice.
0: One of the features that's on this set is the Living with Levine feature, where Toby Haydoke Goes to spend a weekend with John Levine in Salisbury. This previously, of course, appeared on a DVD, but I, for some reason, had never watched it all the way through, and I can't imagine why. And it's completely and utterly mental. I just did not know what to expect. Have you seen this one, Tom? When it I first have came not. Out?
1: I, when I saw the title, I thought it meant he was going to live with Ian Levine. <laughs> that, that'd be good. <laughs> they should do
2: that for the season twenty-two box set. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, but I, I'll now put it on my
0: watch list. I haven't got through a lot of the uh, extras yet. It's very interesting, Dave. What did you think of it?
2: I haven't rewatched it. I mean, I saw it when it was on, when it was on whichever DVD it was originally. I can't remember which one it was now, actually. That's Close a- of Axel. I quite like. I quite like. All oh, right, it must have been the reissued them. I would have been a special edition of Clause of Axos, wouldn't it? For some added value material to get us all to buy the story for the umpteenth time, and we all did. I really like John Levine. I can tell the story again about when I was visiting my auntie and uncle a couple of years ago when we had the day out in Salisbury. And I remember as we, we were sort of on our way in and there was a sort of park and ride thing there. And the bus was empty. And I remember Mum Clean sort of saying to the driver, you know, is um, what's you know, what's going on? And the driver said, Well, this was the this was in the wake of the nerve gas attack. And the driver saying to Mum Clean, that's why the bus is free. Now they're trying to encourage people to come back into the town centre. And a light sort of switch sort of flicked in my head, and I remember saying to my my auntie and uncle, Oh, yeah, because I, John Levine, who was Sergeant Benson and Doctor Who, he lives, he, he lives here. He did a video and, oh, right, yeah, so I wonder if we'll see him. And literally, we got off the bus, crossed the road, went through a little archway, crossed another road, and there's John Levine walking towards us along the pavement. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, I said hello, and I think he was delighted to be recognised. He was great. He put his shopping down straight away, and he was like, right, let's get the photo taken. He couldn't have been nicer. I mean, he's—I'm not going to say anything disparaging about it because he's lovely. He's obviously, you know, he's—he's he's had his life like everyone else. I mean, he's a character, and I like that in him. You know, I like a character.
0: Didn't he do stand up at one point? I think he's done pretty much everything at one point yeah. or another. But he's like—I think he said that he hosted coverage of the Emmys or something like that. But. Um, quite where that fits in with the real world and John Levine world, I'm not quite sure. But he seemed to be quite a decent golfer as well. I was quite surprised to see that. I mean, of all the times my in-laws live just outside Salisbury and I've spent many a time down there looking for John Levine, but never once seen him prowling the streets. That's
2: hilarious. I saw him literally 10 minutes after I thought we might see him because Monk thought it was, he still talked about it. He says it was the way, David, he said it was the way you kind of rolled your eyes and went, oh, there he is. You were completely unsurprised. And I was like, well, you know, I have a knack for these things.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's quite good. And one of the things I really enjoyed, another feature, was the Panopticon Archive, where it's sold convention footage. And in one of these, we've got John Pertwee. They're holding court on stage, you know, entertaining, telling anecdotes as only John Pertwee could. But, of course, the key thing at the heart of them all is money. John likes a good story about money and making income, which I thought was quite funny. Dave, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I thought that was great. I thought it was one thing I thought was really funny was um, right at the start. Andrew Beach asks John what he's been up to, and almost immediately John goes into one of his tried and tested, told many times before, anecdotes. And it's not until right at the end of the panel they open it up to the audience for questions. He actually tells them that he's just recorded the links for for the imminent release. Then of um, I think his I think one he did was Tomb of the Cybermen, but it was the first sort of proper attempt at releasing the audio soundtracks of missing stories. And he also talked a about, about recording the links for the Perth Years video. And you sort of think, you fool, why didn't you talk about them at the start when Andrew asked you? Because they were running out of time and people were asking. And it was obviously much more interesting than hearing the story about where he got the voice for the, the postman and, and what Lord Spaff the billionth time, God bless him. But that was, that was quite funny. And he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and I've just done this. And everyone, you could tell everyone in the room was just like, what? <laughs> it was great. It was really, really nice to see him.
0: It's really nice that we've got him included in some way in original footage that you won't see elsewhere but we get to hear his definitely. voice. And he might definitely. not be talking directly about the content in obviously the way that the other contributors are specifically, but it's still great to have the fact we've got new John Pertwee, as it were, so we can experience and yeah. enjoy him definitely years yeah. later. And just what a showman. What an absolute I mean, class act. I think something Dave said before is that we never quite appreciated when we had him and uh, a lot of people took him for granted. And And now, of course... With these former doctors we just we do miss them
2: absolutely and that's yep. why it's quite good that they're, they're prioritizing certain series with the box sets at the moment because you know we don't know how i don't want to sound morbid but we don't know how long we're going to have a lot of these actors for you know so it's good to kind of get them involved and to end the behind the sofa features or recording new interviews you know while while we have the chance i suppose
1: have you ever thought david about going into the market of uh, recording inspirational messages <laughs> You know, to cheer people up. The yes, that's a good, that's yeah. A good idea. Isn't yeah, Tom? great.
0: Excellent. <laughs> one of the features which I think most of us were looking forward to was Frank Skinner's tribute to Terence Sticks, Terence and Me. And I think Frank was the perfect host. I mean, the fact that he lived in the same street as Terence, it's absolutely incredible. I and mean, Tom, what did you think well, of it? Not having watched a lot of these
1: extras, I have to say, I, I can't imagine there being another one on this box set that I would enjoy more. I, th- I think it was... Absolutely, you know, first-class production, great writing. As you say, Skinner was the perfect person to, to do this. He's got exactly the right blend. I mean, I totally empathise with him when he said that he wanted to go and knock on his door when he was alive and introduce himself, but he never had the guts. That's exactly my perspective. That's exactly what I would have done. I would have talked about it, and I would have I would have fantasised about doing it, and I would never have got around to it, and I think that's the experience of an awful lot of people. And... He just brought so much affection to the subject and so much sensitivity when he was speaking to Terence's widow and his family, which was a lovely scene because I hadn't really thought about his children. And then you see these three facsimiles of Terence Six sitting around a table in the garden, and it was lovely. And it was just such a beautiful legacy, and I think think Skinner captured it perfectly. Dave, what did you think?
2: I felt privileged to spend the time with Terence's family you know, it was as Tom says, the facsimiles, it was like three little photocopies. And that's you know, it was it was really it was very moving. I mean, the whole the whole programme was very moving. Frank's a natural for this sort of stuff. One thing that I, I liked was the, the moment when Frank had a look inside Terence's writing room in his study, and I was really pleased. Terence had a little a statue, a little figurine of the Matt Smith doctor in his in his study. And there was a, a moment earlier on in the, the programme when you saw quite a lot of the figurines ranged about, and I thought Terence had a subscription to the you know the figurine range. That's brilliant. But he liked Matt Smith's doctor and had him on his desk when he was writing. I love the fact that Terence was a fan of um of the 11th doctor. I think that's great. I can imagine him watching Matt's stories and chuckling away and thinking, Oh, he's very good, isn't he? He's very good. But um, well, as Tom says, that, that the real the real highlight was seeing his three sons. That that was very, very affecting. And I I teared up a bit. I didn't expect to. Um I never met Terence. I think I said said that when we 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 talked with Terence before. I would love to have met him. I mean, I he wasn't he wasn't as formative in my reading for, for me as he was as you know for other people. But I did read a lot of his books when I was very young, and his his knowledge and his understanding of Doctor Who is better than anyone. And it was it was so nice just seeing how you know basically you know he lives on in these kids. It was great seeing kids; they're all adult men, but you know it was it was really really affecting. What do you think about Kenny?
0: I'm agreement is the moment when Frank walked into Terence's office and you get to see Terence's typed up notes to himself and you know just wee we jogs uh, you know to keep him going on days when the words were maybe struggling I thought that was really nice and the fact there's statuettes of Time Lord judges f- from the war games and, and just generally such it was a nice happy feel to it and bittersweet in a way because you think this is really nice but you just think I still wish Terence was with us and we could have got some more insights from him, as I said earlier, for these Blu-rays, to get his experience firsthand would have been lovely and behind the sofa just to hear him. him, him in fact, him and Barry Letts together would have been fantastic. Yeah. We've, we've lost them both.
1: We often talk about, you know, the important thing is to celebrate the lives, not, not to mourn the deaths. And I think the good, great thing about this particular documentary, and Toby here does it really well as well, but this really was a brilliant celebration. It was affirmative. It was so positive. And, you know, although it's about somebody that we all loved and he's dead now, you finished watching it, cheered up. Because it was yeah. it was just brilliant.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would agree. Very uplifting.
0: I think the fact that everybody's got positive things to say about Terence. There's no, not a negative, there's no double standards. I think anybody who met with him or worked with him, it all genuine and came from the heart. One of the other documentaries, of course, we mentioned Barry Letts there. There is a documentary which had appeared previously in one of the DVDs, Remembering Barry Letts. And it was a really nice touch as well. We got to meet one of his sons and we found out about his life and the fact he's he the pacifist who ended up becoming a captain of a vessel in the Navy in World War Two, And just what made him, you know, with his Buddhist beliefs and things like that, just to, what a fighting man. And I think... What a great double act he and Terence were. Have you watched that one, Dave?
2: I would have watched it when it was off, when it was first released on whatever DVD it was on. Yeah, I mean, I, I did meet Barry Letts at the, the second Scarrison convention in '97, and just sort of and thanked him then, and sort of said, "Look, you know, thanks for making so many really good stories." Because I, I've said many times, I'm a huge, huge fan of what Barry Letts did with Doctor Who. Him, the the Barry and Terence sort of period is the most consistent in the whole in the whole series, just in terms of. You know, quality and writing and performance and all that sort of stuff, and just consistency. For you know, really, and yeah, Barry like he's a, he was a good guy. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And I'm, I always think it's very telling that you know they got him back for Tom Baker's final series just to keep an eye on things, just to make sure that John Nathan Turner wouldn't you know make a mess of it. And there was a Barry there as a steady hand. So, and he also you know, Kerry Knife when we did our, our episodes about the past Doctor books, we talked about how Barry and Terence sort of collaborated on. On an anniversary novel and I like the fact that the Barry never really left Doctor Who behind you know he was always had a, had a finger in so to speak.
0: Let's move on to a uh, celebration with one of the other features on here Katie Manning in conversation which is bizarrely enough Katie Manning in conversation with Dr Matthew Sweet. I love these features when they go on to get a real insight as to who the person is that's the interviewee, and you really get to the heart of it. And, the, and Matthew does ask more difficult questions. And I mean, I never expected to find out that Katie Manning used to go out with Jimi Hendrix. Oh wow! Absolutely amazing stuff that just comes out in conversation. Six degrees of separation. It's brilliant, isn't it? It is. Just she's so honest throughout it, and uh, says that she talks about growing up with Liza Minnelli and how they were friends at school. And how they used to go around and you know hang out in the house, and Judy Garland would be there with all her famous showbiz mates. And Katie just just talks about it so casually because that's how she grew up. That was the world she grew up in. It's not a name dropping or anything like that. Just an incredible individual, thoroughly, thoroughly fascinating watch. And I'd recommend that you definitely give that one a go soon as well, Tom.
1: Uh, yes, I absolutely will. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I love Katie Manning. I did meet her once, uh, along with Nicholas Courtney and I must try and find that photographs from somewhere, but that was in 2008. And she was lovely, and she was great to meet. I have to say, sometimes I've listened to her interviews since then, and especially some of the stuff she's done for Big Finish. I can't really associate her with Joe Grant from the 70s. I, I just think the, the character, the voice, the personality, are, they are so removed from what I remember in the original series that I, I, I find it quite difficult to take.
2: Dave, what did you think of it? I thought it was excellent. Matthew Sweet has done the showcase interviews in each of the box sets. I hope he's doing one with Sylvester for season 24. Um, I look forward to that. I found them kind of variable overall. It felt sometimes with the Tom Baker and the Peter Davison ones that we didn't really get anything that we hadn't heard before. It was almost in some cases like sort of reheated convention panel stuff. The Philip Hinchcliffe one was, was a bit better but I felt that sometimes on the Philip Hinchcliffe and Peter Davison interviews you could tell that Matthew was doing his best to do some digging but the Peter and Philip weren't, weren't willing to walk down that path. So with all that being, being said, I think the Katie Manning one is the best one he's done because, as Kenny is saying, you've got a much, much better idea of Katie's life and of Katie the person rather than just talking about Joe Grant for, you know, for an hour and a half, which you know, it could have been. I've, I've met Katie a few times. I think she's brilliant. She's a force of nature. And much to what I said before in the past with John Berthaway, I'm slightly in awe of the life that she's had and the, everything that she's done. And this, I felt this was a really good interview because you get a real <laughs> sense of her career, a real sense of where Doctor Who sort of falls into it, for, or definitely important. it. And you got a much better sense of who Katie is rather than the slightly dizzy lady that she sometimes sort of plays in other
0: special features. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that does make Do- sense. I think she's very honest. And obviously nothing's been held back. Everything is, you know, a fair game for interviewing to be asked about and I think it was a, a really fascinating insight to get to know her a lot better.
2: Yeah, it was it was really good because there was a few clips from other programmes that, that she'd done and it made me appreciate how good an actress she is because it, there was another clip from another programme which I can't remember the name of, which she did just quite soon after leaving Doctor Who and the difference between the woman she was playing in that and Dizzy, you know, bubbly unit agent Josephine Jones was astonishing and it's and I'd love, it's one of these things, I'd love to see more of the acting that Katie's done outside of Doctor Who because we just know her as Joe Grant, but we're really nice to see her, we, see what she's made of and see what else she can do. Has she done much outside Doctor Who? I think so, yeah. I mean, she, I think she played the Goldie Horn part and There's a Girl in My Soup on stage right. and all that sort of stuff. You know, how much, I, I, don't, I don't know what she did in Australia, for example. I don't know if she, you know, if when, when she was there, if she, she did a lot of TV work or whatever. But it's always it's always nice to just get these little glimpses of, of Doctor Who actors in other things. I mean, I watched Gangsters recently. Man, I could do, a whole, I really want us to, to do Gangsters for the for the, the Doctor Who family tree. And that was really good because there's a good few actors in that that appeared in Doctor Who and it was really nice seeing them in other things. And we all talked, we, we talked before about Perthouille as Wizzle well Gummidge and Peter Davison as Tristan Farland, but it's, it's, these are quite well known. So it's nice just to occasionally see one of Doctor Who stars play, you know, turning up in something that isn't as is well known. And I really would love to see a few more things that Katie was in just, just to get a better you know, sense of her. I think she was better than Joe Grant. Does that make sense?
1: No, it doesn't it does. make any sense at all. It,
2: doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I don't know if you were, Tom, that her ex-partner when she lived in Australia was Barry Crocker. Should I know the Barry name Crocker? Name?
1: It doesn't, well, it rings a
0: bell. He's the guy who sang the original Neighbours theme.
1: Right okay there
0: six you de- go the
2: six degrees of separation there we go once there
0: we again another one there of course katie features in another feature as well devil's weekend where she and john levine and bessie go back to the village of Oldbourne where they filmed the demons have a look around and you can see the village as it is and there's the bit of the legacy that it has now the fact that there's a local garage where bessie once got repaired and the guy who owns that has made a post box which is sort of TARDIS shaped and he's also made a Dalek as well which talks with a very strong Wiltshire accent which is great fun it's again a really nice feature just going back and the impact that the that you know a few weeks of Doctor Who filming had on this little place which is not that far from Swindon most enjoyable Dave did you watch this one yes
2: I did it was again very like the Terrence I I, I was very moved by it very like the Terence program very. The word I keep using is affecting, and I will say it again when we talk about one of the other features. It was really nice hearing the memories of the people that lived in the village who were there when the program was made, and great seeing Katie and John Levine together. And it was, you know, when they're having to leave the village at the end of the of the program, very emotional. It was very, very good, and it just it just ties in with what I was saying earlier on, you know, about appreciating these people while we have them. Yeah, it was it was very good.
0: Talking of being on location, one of the other features, and this is direct route, in which some of the directors from the Pertwee era go back to locations that were used at the time, and we see them as they are now, which is quite an interesting insight as to how they came to choose these locations and pick them, in particular colony and space, where the quarry is on the verge of being finished off and turned into a housing site now being developed, which is absolutely fascinating, and some really, really good insight from the directors who are involved. Timothy Combe, Graham Harper, and Michael O'Brien. Yes, really good insight. Dave, what did you think of this?
2: Well, Ken, I think it's probably my favorite feature in the whole set. Similar, similar to what I've said, you know, about some of the other features. It was really, really nice seeing, especially the start of the program, the three of them were together. It was really nice seeing these guys who've known each other for 50 plus years, who've known each other, you know, huge chunks of their lives and their careers, revisiting and you know remembering you know their past adventures Cream harper's lovely he's a delight and michael bryant is just obviously such a genuine genuine guy and tim coombe was tremendous as well i mean i was you didn't feel like you were intruding but again it felt like a privilege just to sort of go with them on this little journey around because when are they when are they when, how likely is it that they're going to go back to where they film terror of the autumns or the film colony space it's probably not very likely so i can imagine how thrilling and exciting it was for them to have all those memories sparked and to recall everything that happened whilst they were there. The, the quarry bit was hilarious because we, we used our quarry in Bar Head when we did our college video project. Because you know, we used to walk over to it from Paisley and throw stones in, in the, the big in the lake at the bottom. It's it was, it was interesting sort of seeing them sort of being appalled at how, the, how much the location had changed. And it's like, oh, guys, that's what happens with quarries, <laughs> they go to the wild. But it was really nice again. The feeling I had was it was a privilege to sort of share the time with them in a really nice, non-intrusive way. And just sort of seeing just how genuine their 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 reactions and emotions were. It was really, really nice. And again, I'm going to say it again, very affecting.
0: It's fantastic. Really, really good features. I mean, there's some other wee bits that have been added uh, across these other stories. Like uh, on The Mind of Evil, there's a bit from a local news broadcast which covered the DVD release of The Mind of Evil when it had been restored to colour from BBC Kent when they went to Dover Castle, which was, again, a nice wee extra, something that hadn't been outside and the way they got the camera angle to match up with the Doctor and Joe driving up to the castle in Bessie and the news report, and they married it up. So it was really a nice wee touch. So, yes, I I enjoyed that.
2: We should also mention, as well, there's a couple of really good Blue Peter clips there's one with um, Peter Burvis and Valerie Singleton sort of going around the BBC sort of scenic department. And that was that was worth the price of the box set on its own, honestly. <laughs> I don't know why they don't release more old episodes of Blue Peter and Blu-ray. I'd buy them.
0: Oh, we got to see a pair of Doctor Who doors and that's it. Yeah, that was a bit bizarre. Didn't recognise them. Very, very strange. But yes, let's go and talk about some of the stories themselves. And we'll start with Terror of the Autons, which of course has some new effects in it as well. What is an SD? A nestine is a ruthlessly aggressive, intelligent alien life-form. The Nestines
2: can put life into anything made of plastic. An old acquaintance has arrived on this planet. Who the heck are you? I
1: am usually referred to as the master.
0: I'm your new assistant. Oh,
1: no.
0: Josephine Grant. Report from one of our field sections, sir, Captain Yates. Some kind of sabotage at a radio telescope. Two of their scientists have disappeared. Something was stolen from the National Space Museum. It was on loan from this HQ. Well,
1: that's the nestings energy unit. It should never have left this building. The Master has learned a great deal since you last met him.
2: I refuse to be worried by a renegade like the Master. Death is always more frightening when it strikes invisibly. <gasps> a wave of sudden deaths all over the home counties.
1: <clears> of Asphyxiation, <throat> <It's> heart <throat> failure, shock. Ah! Doctor! Mr. <laughs> Rod? Get down, man! Get down! Water. Bullets can't stop them. Tom. Well. See, this this has a, a personal history for me. When I look in 1976, 77, when I first borrowed my friend Brem's copy of mm-hmm. Doctor Who and the Terror of the Autons by Terence Dix, I remember looking at the cover, a beautiful cover with a big octopus strangling, attacking the, the, the you know, the telescope tower uh, with a little insect picture of, um, of John Pertwee waving at the master. And I loved the illustrations in that book, particularly the cover illustration, but I couldn't remember there being a big octopus type thing uh, in the actual television series. And finally, one day, when they released Terror of the Orchans, I think it was on VHS first, but it might have been the first DVD, and I was right, there wasn't a big octopus in the television series. It was a big blob of light, very indistinct and vague, and and pretty rubbish. And if you look at the, the illustrations in the books, you know, there's, there's one of the black and white illustrations inside where there's this big octopus, you know, scrambling towards the tower and you think oh my goodness that must have looked really dramatic when we saw it on television no it didn't so they have revisited those special effects and they have done this just it's probably the best retro sfx i've seen in any of these box sets you know they've done them in other dvds remember they did Ark in space they did new special effects day of the daleks etc and one day i hope to see new special effects in invasion of the dinosaurs but this is the latest one, and I think it's far and away the most outstanding. They have they've they've put in the new special effects of this giant squid-like creature, and I'll come back to that um, attacking the, the 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 control room, and it is just superb, and it it, it 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 it's seamless with the rest of the action, and I just think they've done a terrific job now. What is um, interesting is that, according to the target books, there's two versions of the nesting consciousness. There is the one in the original book, which is about clearly an octopus with one eye, right? And then in the later editions, it's obviously transformed into a squid as opposed to an octopus, right? big, long body. It's a squid on the cover of the the reprint
2: of Auton Invasion as well.
1: Oh, is that right? Uh, Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of, actually.
2: I, it's, it, um, you sort of see it in space, but they always yeah, make the emphasis right. on, the, on the tentacles and the one eye. And, is there not a line somewhere between something between crab and
1: octopus or something? Well, if you, is, if you look at the original uh, Auto Invasion termsticks, uh, the novelization of Spare from Space, clearly uh, Chris Akelius has used as his template an actual photograph of an octopus, and it's got two eyes actually. But it's a brilliant illustration. And once again, now that I remember it, you know, watching uh, John Pertwee get, you know, <laughs> hold the tentacles around his own neck in order to be strangled in the last few scenes uh, doesn't quite measure up. But the, but the illustrations were brilliant. Anyway, the, 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 they've decided that it was a squid, it was a, a, an interstellar squid who attacks. And despite my preferring an octopus, it is just brilliant.
0: It just looks so authentic. And the troll doll as well the new version of it is really good as well again seamlessly fitting in
2: yeah absolutely it's, it's
0: terrifying yeah i've actually always preferred terror of the autons to spearhead from space i know i'm a heathen burn me now but i really enjoyed it and particularly now with this picture restoration it is fantastic i think it's it just it looks so good you would almost believe in places that it is the original videotapes and not having been salvaged from uh, film prints in black and white and then had the colour signal taken from an American VHS tape. The fact that have even been able to like pull in the the bleeding sort of skin colours, I just think it looks fantastic. Love it. I,
1: I think you're right. In terms of plot, I think Terror of the Orton's is a stronger story, actually. I think yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. *Spear from Space has got some amazing set pieces, particularly when the poacher Hides the resting sphere in, in his shed, and the autumn comes looking for it. That is one of my earliest TV memories, and it is still quite shocking and quite, you know, incredibly nightmare giving. But I think in terms of the plot, I think you're right. Terry the Ottens is is a is a
2: better story. I think it. I think it's better than Spearhead in some ways because it doesn't have to worry about introducing a new Doctor. Yeah, you know, it's, it's allowed. To, they've obviously thought right. If it had a year to think about it, and it's like, right, what else can we think of that we can use the Autons to do that will be scary and clever? And, and they totally go with it, and that, that's tremendous. I really liked the work that's been done and just um, tying up the CSO fringing in the story. It looks like they've keyed in new backgrounds and a lot of it to, to match the lighting of the studio footage, and they've really done a number on it. It's, it's tremendous. You know, kudos to everyone involved. They really, really deserve the, the congratulations.
1: My, my final thought on Terry Orton's is, is this. I still do not understand why the producers during Classic Who never thought to bring them back. I know there was a plan to bring them back for Five Doctors, but it's such an and they didn't, you know, and it's such an obvious monster to resurrect. I'm sure John Nathan Turner uh, could have done it and disappointed whole new legions of fans over <laughs> the resurrection of a new monster. I'm told there was a plan
2: to use them in a story in the, in the original the originally sort of conceived season 23, I think. There's a The story goes that Robert Holmes was given a, a shopping list of, you know, the Master and the Rani and Autones in Singapore and told to write a story, but he didn't get much further than a, an outline before the axe the sort of fell on the original season 23. But you're right. I mean, um, I wonder if maybe they were seen as being too much of a hot ticket, you know, because the, there were so many complaints about how scary they were. I wonder if that put them off using them. I don't know, but they were used obviously very well in the Divide series.
0: Yeah, perfect way to relaunch it with Rose. Next story, The Minded Evil, which, of course, restored from scratch with zero color at all, manually recolored episode one, and color restoration in the rest of the episode.
2: Science has abolished the hangman's noose and substituted this infallible method. Now, when the process is completed, the negative impulses that made this man a criminal will have been removed.
0: This machine has the power to affect men's minds, Governor. And it's growing stronger, and it should be destroyed now. Doctor, what did you see?
2: The deadliest threat to mankind since the beginning of time. Gotta find out a way of dealing with that alien creature
1: out there. What alien creature?
2: That is Thunderbolt. It's a gas missile, nuclear-powered, and British, of course. Of course.
0: What's it got to do with the Master? Everything. He's hoping to steal it. An outrage has been committed against the Chinese people's delegation. If you are in charge of the of the arrangements, we hold you directly responsible. You harm so much as one hair of on her head, I'll...
1: <laughs> you
2: do nothing, or I'll put a bullet to build your hearts.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Babe, what's your hot take on The Mind of Evil?
2: I think it's effing brilliant, Kenny. There you go. I really like it. It's It's... I like the scope, I like the range of all the locations and, you know, everything that's going on from the, the peace conference to the, the the master, you know, listening to to, um, to music in, in the car and the, the multiracial cast and the brilliant cast of people in the prison scenes. You know, Michael Sherd and the guy from Power of Pro, whose name I can't remember, who my dad is a big fan of. And Neil McGrathie. That's the one, thanks matey. As Johnny Morris pointed out on Twitter the other day, how different all the cliffhangers are. <laughs> And, and just yeah, it's a good one. It's you know, let Roger Delgado properly bed in. Captain Yates, Captain Yates, Captain Yates gets to be heroic. Sergeant Benton gets to, you know to faint badly. It's a good one. I like the Mind of Evil, the last one in the series to be novelised, which is interesting. But I like it a lot.
1: And Tom. I, I, I think it is one of those shows. in this the, the um, when Barry likes to chat about this quite a lot. It is one of those stories that treats the audience like adults even though they know that the, the audience is largely children but they, they don't talk down to them they, they they produce this really intelligent nuanced almost story with really interesting characters really interesting idea behind the story they didn't do that as much in later years and I just think that's one of the reasons why season eight I think stands as as a golden era for Doctor Who think like, it is absolutely superb
0: for me mind of evil is effectively a season seven story but done in season eight it's very clever it's got that darker scientific edge and it definitely it's it's very real world the fact you've got it set in a setting like a prison and you can see the inmates there and it's and it's quite some of the scenes are quite unsettling and obviously it's it's rather bizarre seeing joe walking through a prison and just think mm-hmm, that's a bit uh unusual but the fact she does seem to get a bit of attention just from the inmates in the background so yeah a bit of a touch of realism there I think it's such a great idea you find you've got this mind parasite draining what is perceived to be evil from people's minds and how it leaves prisoners like Barnum afterwards and it's, it's definitely quite a disturbing idea and Roger Delgado is just as I said earlier first class he's very much in control suave and he's very much the boss despite what everyone else thinks especially Mailer when he takes himself and installs himself as the prison governor. Now for me, this is actually my favorite story in this season. I've always been a big fan of The Mind of Evil. And I think having it in Blu-ray, just makes it, it just looks so, so good. Love it. So Kenny, as usual,
2: God bless you. You put out a call for some tweets to see what people's favorite special features were on the new set, didn't you?
0: Thanks, Steve, that's right, yes. We have one from Walter Dunlop, who says Definitely the tribute to Terence Dix. The whole sequence that starts with Frank Skinner finally knocking on that front door through to the end left me with a huge soppy grin on my face. And a fearful squint from trying to work out what books were on Terence's shelves. I did that too. Steve Higgins says it'll be several months until we get it in the US, but I am most looking forward to watching Behind the Sofa with Sasha Dewan, the current master, watching Delgado's portrayal. Phil Newman agrees he and Angela are an absolute delight. So positive and enthusiastic with very different links to and outlooks on the show. Bring them back for more. Cannot disagree with a word of that. Absolutely brilliant. John Porter says Got to be Behind the Sofa, just an absolute joy. Can someone please give Janet Fielding and Katie Manning an afternoon chat show? Or even a late Saturday one? And here we have a celebrity play. Katie Manning says, I would love to do a Behind the Sofa with Janet Fielding. We heard it here first. The Dwayne of Morbius says, I'll tell you in May when it's released in Australia. And Zoe's Feather Boa 5K says, Terence Sticks documentary, but lots of lovely extras. Sabrina Wolf in Germany, hello Sabrina, says, Oh, I wish I could tell you this, but my box hasn't arrived until this moment, which is most disappointing. I'm Sorry to hear that. And Andrea Mettenburg, also in Germany, says, Mine neither. We both are in Germany and ordered it via Zoom. I'm getting nervous also. Fingers crossed they will arrive soon. Yes, fingers crossed for you too, because they are great. Everybody deserves to see these fantastic Blu-rays. So thanks to everybody for sending in their tweets. Now we're going to have a quick discussion about the cause of Axos. Axos calling Earth. Axos
2: calling Earth. Whatever that thing is, it's on collision course and heading straight for Earth.
1: house strike now! Before you start annihilating the
0: thing, why don't we just take a look at it?
1: We would like to stay. In return, according to your custom, we offer a gift. Axonite. Unlimited food. And
0: unlimited Unlimited power. We must have it! Axonite is simply bait for human greed. Claws of Axos are already deeply embedded in the Earth's carcass. I think I can defeat Axos, but I must have the Master's help. Do you know
1: you can't trust him? He'll can you the first chance he gets?
2: We either escape together, or we die together. Are you suggesting an alliance? Why not? Eyes are useless, Time Lord. We must
0: have the secret of time travel. No, Dad, you, not Dave, you're a huge fan of this story, am I right?
2: Yeah, it's like fizzy drinks and chocolate is brilliant. It's one of those, those Perry stories, the first time you see it, you know, I didn't see it when it first went out. I read the book many times. Um, I remember getting it. Either I have conflicting memories of either getting it at a sort of book sale at school or one of my pals at school, Derek Roy, acquiring it for me in suspicious circumstances they conflict. I'm not sure which is right. Maybe Derek got it at a book sale at school for me. Anyway, one of those apparently stories, the first time you read the book, you're like, whoa, and then you watch it on video when it comes out in the 90s and and, on VHS from BBC Video, and you're like, whoa. I've reconciled myself to that now. I remember how bad the picture quality was on the very first VHS release of it, especially the middle episodes, but they really did a number on it on DVD. And then, of course, they did another Restoration for it, and it got a special release, a special edition release on on, on DVD, and they have really really tied it up. So it's nice to see it, even you know, to see it even sharper. It's um, it's a, I find it quite a quite an interesting story. It's you can really tell the doctor is straining at the chains of his exile, and he's really fed up with all the b- bureaucracy of of unit and the British government and all that sort of stuff. And I think Jonesy gets that over very very well. And there's all the stuff with the brigadier, you know, being being sort of bumped out of his, his position, which has, you know, already happened to him a couple of times by this point. Yeah, it's a good one. I love all the location filming. It's nice to see that being revisited by by the directors and the other feature. It's it's um yeah, it's a good story. I like it.
1: Tom. I, I remember watching this on his first broadcast and, and just think it was wonderful. Once again, memories originally were quite vague. But f- funnily enough, going on from our earlier discussion with Terence Sticks, much as we love Terence Dix, we can we can all, I think, acknowledge, as he did himself, that there was a period when he was writing the target novelizations when he was basically taking the script and he was copying the script into the books and there was hardly any other extras, there was hardly any characterization or any description beyond what was in the, the novels. So for example, Dalek Invasion of Earth is one of his worst adaptations because there's nothing in it really. It's just it's just what was in the script and very little extra. And I remember being quite disappointed with that. What was the point I was going to make was that the Clause of Actors novelization came out within a month of either before or a month after the, the Dalek Invasion of Earth. And the difference is amazing. Uh, the normalisation is just brilliant. It's, it's in-depth. It shows you what the original form of the tablets is before the chameleon circuit takes effect, which in the book is described, I think, from memory as a kind of igloo-type, you know, semi-circular uh, sphere. Um, and it's got those kind of little details which you love as a, as a Doctor Who Fan before you can actually watch the original series on VHS or on DVD. So, so that influenced you know when I came to rewatch it, that it was the novelization that influenced a lot of my perceptions. But it is brilliant, you know, vampires from space. It's such a great idea, and this it, once again, it's very Nigel Neal. You know, it's very Quatermass, and that was intentional, and I think that was the right judgment as well because it is it's, it's such a, a a great notion, and once again, it treats the audience as as adults. And gives them something really interesting
0: to think about. I have to say I'm going to disagree with you because I'm not the biggest fan of this one. I think it starts yeah. really well but for me I, it just doesn't stand up. I think it's ultimately descended into a bit of scientific gobbledygook towards the end. I mean I love the stuff where you've got the, the master in, the, in the, the console room and the Doctor's TARDIS and you've got the tentacles everywhere and I think that looks fantastic. Really good visually but I just think it could probably have done with another spit and polish on the script just to give it that, just to make it just that little bit less sciency-yency for me. And just, I mean, there's moments in this when obviously when the Doctor doctor's being rude and it's to uh, Mr. Chin from the Ministry, but I mean, there's the moments in this season that I find it quite uncomfortable, particularly when he first meets Joe and dismissing her as a ham-fisted bun vendor and it's quite rude to her. And I, to me, the Doctor should not be like that. I find that quite, I and mean, that's something that I don't particularly like about the third Doctor, the way he's so dismissive of some people, but that's but just yeah. a personal take.
2: That's that's interesting, and, and I don't I don't mean this in a bad way, but you're you're a huge fan of the of the of the Capaldi doctor, and he had that sort of tendency at times as well. That's um yeah. that's quite. You might don't want to sound like I'm challenging you unnecessarily, but um, do you think it's more to do with do you think it has to to do with the actor and the stories, or do you feel that um that that was there something about the, the PCAP performance that that you clicked better with?
0: I think so. I think it's because he was like that from the word go. Whereas the third doctor was, you know, quite friendly to start with. You know, when he meets Liz and he's he's well, turning on the charm. But that's just my. Well,
1: my no, view.
2: but I mean, I think I think it, I think it ties in though with what I was saying about him straining at the chains of his exile. He's a he's really probably properly probably sick of 20th century Earth by that point. I think that's I think it's, it's understandable. He's going to be a wee bit more irritable. I think. I think that's fair. I think that's
1: reasonable. We've also got a very strong similarity between the Axon and the early stages of a crinoid.
0: Yes, yes, of course. Repaint it green, of course. Of course, course we get to meet the Axon family in this. They actually considered at one point doing a sequel where they actually introduced the dog from the the Axon family. And that was going to be called The Paws of Axos.
1: You know that technically under new legislation, that's a hate crime. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, you can't you can't see this listeners because but we can because we're on zoom tom looks furious right now
1: <laughs>
2: this is just how i always look
0: davy
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well let's travel into outer space for the first time with the doctor and joe and end up in a colony in space hello Mango. can you hear me our dome is being attacked This report i want to know Look Look at the exploitation of this planet can make us both rich if we get rid of the colonies
1: this is
2: our world you have no right to be here but we've as much right
0: to be here as anybody else my corporation has been assigned the mineral rights on this planet even if it means turning this planet into a slag heap that's good for imc is good for earth earth or your corporation's profits scaring people is one threat of murder say where you are get out of my way i remind you that i am captain of this ship and we are on an alien planet If you strike me, I can have you executed without trial. It's the master! We're not going to start a war! Take your arm! I've been chained to a bomb, hunted and shot at. As far as I'm concerned, the war's already
1: started. You will
2: soon see the most powerful weapon ever created. How are
0: we going to get out of here?
2: Get off this planet! I'll send a fleet to wipe you out.
0: If you don't help us, we're all going to die! Look out! You intend to hold the universe to ruts.
1: This planet of yours could be the centre of a mighty empire.
0: I will not join you in your absurd dreams of a galactic conquest. Then die! Tom, what's your thoughts on Colony?
1: It was only when I rewatched watched this that I realised that the dematerialisation and rematerialisation of the TARDIS is done very cat handedly because yes. the director didn't know how the TARDIS materialised and dematerialised. I, I, once again, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't think of a single John Pertwee story that I don't love, uh, apart from The Mutants, but I'll we'll come to that in another story. I loved kind of calling space once again, largely informed by my original memories of it when it was first broadcast. I remember probably because you hadn't been into outer space for a long time, I, I was really captured by it. And I was very excited with the idea of being another planet. I love the idea of colonization. loved the idea of this monster coming in and killing some of the colonists. Master, of course, turns up. And, and the, the, that image of the small native thing that appears and then you've got the wee, the wee shrunk baby at the end, who's the yes, quite a disgusting looking thing actually. And I loved all of that. And actually, when I saw it again as an adult, none of the story made an awful lot of sense. Or didn't. The, the ending, the, the bit with the native scene was very added on. You know, didn't really have enough lot of relevance to the rest of the story. But once again, intelligent and quite ambitious. And and I just think Doctor Who classic was at its best when it did that.
2: I really like Colony in Space. I like it a lot more, I think, than a lot of other committee Doctor Who fans do. A lot of committee Doctor Who fans say that it's very boring and very dull. But I think that's probably because they've tried to watch it all in one go, rather than imagining what it was like over six weeks in 1971. I like it, same for the reason I like a lot, Perry six-parters. There's a large supporting cast of new characters, and that really lets the story breathe and really fills it out. It's a great guest cast in this story. Bernard Kay for one. And I I like a good pet 6 part, I like the fact that you can just sort of wallow in it and just you know, at Doctor, at this point, it's as much still as much a serial drama as it as it was in the 60s. And you know, it's an interesting story because I've, I've heard it suggested that that for the master and the doctor, season eight happens in different orders. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to think about how the master might have gone for the doomsday weapon before he he even went to Earth in the first place, or or before he tried. He tried the Keller machine, that sort of thing. Never sat down and worked out what the, the, the most likely order for the master would be, but it's a good one to sort of think about for that. I love the Time Lords at the start, I love that scene, it's it's so cool. And you know, the, before the Time Lords were sort of you know, became seen a bit more regularly as you anyway, know, later on in the 70s, I like it a lot. Yeah, I love the scene when, when Joe is nervous about traveling to a, another world, and that's something that Joe never really loses in the series, she'd much rather stay at home. And I like how the Doctor is sort of, he's not blind to the fact that Joe's uncomfortable, but he can't wait to get onto the surface of another planet for the first time in a long time. I really like it. It's a good one.
0: What do you think, Kenny? I'm fairly ambivalent towards it. It's not one of my favourites. I mean, I remember reading the Doomsday Weapon novelisation and loved it. But when it came to watching this, I just found it a bit flat. I think it's the visuals just seem, for me, sort of are hugely detracting as it just looks so washed out and dull. And even by the time we get to meet the aliens and their. And you're obviously the glove puppet leader of them all. It's just I've heard of being a puppet leader, but that's taking it to extremes actually. No, it's not it's not one of my favorites, and it's what not one that I will be hugely reaching for the show, off the shelf to watch again and again. One perhaps for a, a rainy day and watch a couple of episodes at a time, perhaps, but um, no more than that as as Dave says. It's for me, it's I don't think the characters that engaging and there's not much of an emotional resonance for me. So gasp. That's terrible. I know. I know. But hey, let's go for something that I'm sure that we all love in Doctor Who and the Demons. Beltane is calm, tread softly. For lo, the prince himself is nigh.
2: Devil's End. The very name sends a shiver up the spine. There is something strange about Devil's End.
1: I come to thee and charge thee, Azal. Arise, arise at my command! Azal! Azal!
2: You saw the devil? Yes.
0: Satan, Lucifer, the Prince of Darkness, Beelzebub, the Horned Beast. Call him what you like. He was there. Suppose something was to happen, nobody knew the explanation. Well, nobody in the world, in the universe. Well, that would be magic, wouldn't it? my theory is right, we're all in mortal danger. Everyone in the village.
2: Everyone in the whole world. Domination with a master of total annihilation.
0: Well, this demon could destroy the world.
1: Almighty oh, Azal, be present here at my command and truly do my will. As my will, so might it
0: be. Stop, don't pull
2: up, stop, don't. with the wings there. Five rounds rapid. Kill him!
0: Kill him! Oh! No! You'll kill me now, you will wonder throughout eternity whether you should have listened to my words. Oh me! Tom, I think you mentioned before about Azal, didn't you, terrifying you as a youngster?
1: Yeah, I did, and my big brother's teasing me about it and making me cry. Yeah, this remains, I think, probably my all-time, if I had to choose one adventure from the classic era, this would be it. It's flawed, of course, as they all are, but there are so many clever set pieces, such brilliant characterisations, great story. Once again, very, very Nigel Neal. You'll have guessed that I'm a big Quatermass fan. They don't even try and hide the fact that it's inspired by, by Nigel Neil. I think I remember reading that Nigel Neal himself got a bit annoyed about the extent to which under Barry Letts and Sticks they did kind of plagiarise it. And I can understand that, but I'm glad they did because it is, this is just superb 1970s watching. It's flawless. Well, I really started off to say it's flawed. It's not flawless, but it is as near to perfect Doctor Who from the 70s that you can get.
2: I don't have much to add because, you know, we've, we've talked about it a few times already. I think, you know, Tom picked it as, did you, did Tom pick it as his Desert Island story about yeah, my short-term memory failing me already? And obviously we talked about it when we covered Night of the Demon, and I'm sure we've talked about it in the past. There's not a lot to add. It's the quintessential sort of John Z. Petty story, the unit family, the master, English village. It's it's terrific. The book is amazing. We all read the book when we were younger. I really, really like it. It's my my favorite cliffhanger, just to mix it up, is, is the appearance of Azal. I think that was tremendous. As you know, I love the way that you can work out how they did the CSO. I think Roger Delgado was probably the best he ever is in this story. Yeah, in five rounds rapid and all that, it's terrific.
0: Absolutely agreed. This is definitely an absolutely built out. And of course, one you didn't mention is um, Dennis Wheatley's similarities as well. Of course, with the Devil Rides Out, where you've got the all the yeah. eho eho Azal and in the cavern and the summoning of Azal, who I think. When I, was, when I was really small, terrified me in the Radio Times 20th anniversary special. And there's that picture of him where he's up against the CSO blue background. And every time I was reading those pages, I had to get a bit of paper to cover him over because I just found him so scary when I was nine and ten years old. Oh, son, you're,
2: you're such a delicate wee soul. Oh. Once
0: upon Aww. a time. Aww. It's a brilliant story. I think it's so well structured, and there's so many things in it, like the heat barrier, the spaceship that's tiny, and then it expands and uses it and you know absorbs the heat and yeah. all that stuff. It's so clever. As you say, it's very Nigel Neal, but I think with a good dollop of Dennis Wheatley thrown in for very good measure, and it's a very much a satisfying end to the season.
1: I was looking for, <laughs> there was a book that I read, It might. oh yes, I think it was The Discontinuity Click Guide, that described Chap with wings, five rounds rapid, as the worst line in Doctor Whoever. Oh, for God's sake. And I kind of <laughs> had to read it twice, because I thought maybe there's been a typo here. I can't imagine anyone thinking that that line was anything other than genius. <laughs> <laughs> God,
2: oh well, whoever gets them through the night. Know,
0: yeah, indeed. And just finally, a quick word in conclusion, Roger Delgado, of course, was introduced in the series, very much became an instant favourite, and you can see why. Charm and charisma and just absolutely dominates every scene he's in.
1: Well, indeed, do you think, though, that they made a mistake in having him in every single uh, story?
0: Yes. I think that you can have too much of a good thing. The fact that he's not in every episode of Colony in Space, mm-hmm. definitely that works. And then later on, but yeah. for me, we're all... Great character, and I really couldn't have any more. I could quite happily watch Delgado stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Roger, he's a class act. No doubt about it. Brilliant, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time and space today, and proving that eight is great. Tom, once more, it's time for the parting of the ways. Yeah. Cheers. Dave, bid our lovely listeners a fond fare thee well.
2: Yes, take care everyone, look after yourselves, check out our other podcasts, you know it makes sense, peace and love, peace and love. And when you're invited to take your vaccine, go
1: and take it.
0: Oh yes. Absolutely. If you want to follow us on social media, you can get us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod. You can find us on Facebook where you can find links to episodes and you can leave comments, positive ones only please. And if you're interested in finding out more about us you can visit our website as well which is www.powerof3 that's the number 3 pod.com. And for me Kenny I'm off down the Cloven Hoof with the Brig and Captain Yates for a socially distant five rounds rapid except it's shut so I won't bother. So until next time this has been the Power of 3. Dave what are we playing out with today?
2: Oh Kenny, I'm glad you asked. We'll be mentioning him earlier on, so let's leave the audience now a little better. The master, Jimmy Hendrix, with Cross Town Traffic. your back I can can see you had your fun but uh, darling can't you see my signals turn from green to red and with you I can see a traffic jam